Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm here with Pastor Troy. Ah, dun 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 dun. Whoa, and and our uh, our lovable other guy, Josh. <laughs> hey y'all. And we are here Josh. to. Josh. <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about the Bible. It's like Josh is a regular now. I know. It's exciting. Be in the yeah. intro. You are yes. in the intro. Oh, the intro. The, like, intro before intro. I even start talking. Yeah, before yeah. we're talking right now. I don't now. know about that. Uh, that's, <laughs> I don't know about that. You have to be ordained. I just that's want to right. say, hey, ooh, <laughs> anointed. Yeah, anointed. Ordained and ordained. The gift of yes, intros. Right. When's right. the oil ceremony? That's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll supply the oils. That's right. Well, Troy, what are we talking uh, about today? Today, today in our reading, we are we are in the book of Numbers, which seems to go on forever <laughs> in this part. But you know, and I, we mentioned this before, number, Leviticus and Numbers are both like this in, in this way. They have so many chapters that you're like, why do I have to read this over and over and over and over and you repeat <laughs> the same thing over and over and over again? Uh, but then there will be this story mixed in that like this all of a sudden, boom, the story comes in and you're like, whoa, that's super important or cool or whatever. And so we, we have some of that in Numbers. Uh, but Numbers, uh, then Psalms, uh, 30, Psalm 31, 32, 33, and uh, Proverbs 11. Uh, we don't get very far in Proverbs, but we do. Uh, there are some pretty profound Proverbs in Proverbs 11. And then Mark chapters 10 through 13. So that is on the agenda for today. And always the Gospel of Mark is amazing. Oh, yeah. So I hope. Are you thinking that's not what you read, Josh? <laughs> I thought we went to like. 1426. Well, you did. We did not. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, I'm welcome, prepared. Welcome. You're prepared for next week. So anyway, <laughs> while so, Josh gets prepared, <laughs> we will take a break. <laughs> there you go. And we'll be back and talk about what at least a couple of us read this week. That's right. Welcome back to the Understanding Jesus podcast. We are here to talk about the devotional moments that we read from the Bible this reading. I'm very excited. We all kind of have some overlapping uh, material, but it's interesting. None of us are talking about the same things. Like we're talking about the same thing, but we're not talking about the same thing. You feel and like? if anybody was worried, I am prepared even though I wasn't prepared. Yeah, he, so got, we're, we're he good. got prepared real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've taken it upon myself to call starting today, so I'm going to go ahead and oh. go ahead and do it. In Numbers, um, interesting interesting thing about our heroes in the Bible is that none of them actually deserve the title of hero. It seems yeah, like the they're all kind of the worst. Uh, and and Miriam and Aaron, Aaron's already had a a bummer moment <laughs> for sure. Uh, he's just full of bummer moments. I relate to Aaron quite a bit, but Miriam and Aaron, um, the title of, or the the header title of chapter twelve in my Bible says Miriam and Aaron rebel. And basically, um, Moses marries this girl who they think he should have married, and so they kind of start spreading around that like they could actually lead Israel in place of Moses because God speaks to them just as much as he does to anybody, and is their perception anyway. And basically, and then Moses, and this isn't my devotional moment, I just thought I'd point out that Moses is the author of Numbers, and he writes down in verse 3, Moses was a very humble man, more so than any man on the face of the earth. Mm. So... Um, 
thanks Moses for that commentary. <laughs> but but the the part that I actually genuinely appreciated was um, when God addresses Miriam and and Aaron because Moses doesn't go to bat for himself. God comes down and he he says, um, look, I I talk to you guys in visions and dreams like everybody. But I talked to Moses face to face, and mm. so if you think that you can lead better than him, then you're taking it up with me, uh, because I do not talk to you like like how dare he? He pretty much says, "How dare you?" He says, "Why are you not afraid to speak against Moses? Like you should be afraid to speak against Moses because he's he has a relationship with me that you will never have." And uh, and what mm. what's interesting <clears throat> is that just the comparison I that I drew, I guess, um, with how God communicates with His people. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, especially back then you'd have, he said, I, I talk to people in visions and dreams and God speaks to us in a, in a variety of ways. Um, but, but he speaks through his high priest mm. the most, the best. And, and though he may speak to us and he may even like have words for unbelievers, he may, how he guides the fates of people is not fully known to us as humans. Um, but God communicates and draws people in mysterious ways, but there's one way that's not mysterious. In fact, in in uh, John 16, we haven't gotten there yet in the Bible reading, but John 16:29, the disciples realize, hey, now you're speaking plainly to us. Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, the High Priest, is actually like speaking to us directly, faced, and so, so we don't have to have this relationship with God like. Like like Miriam and Aaron did, you know how the best that they could hope for was maybe a dream or a vision, something abstract sent from God. No, we have actually a high priest mm-hmm. who speaks to us face to face and like goes intercedes between the Father and us because the Father may be hard to understand, but Jesus is can be pretty direct to mm-hmm. us. And when we read His Word, when we read the Word from the Word made flesh, like. It should all be made pretty clear to us, and so I, I read this, and I'm kind of like half um, half judging Miriam and Aaron, and half grateful that that we have what they never did, and we have and this the spirit in us too. Yeah, like, we have so much ooh. more than they did. Yeah. So it's easy to be down on them. We talked about this in our college uh, Bible study this weekend, last last weekend, and how it's easy to judge them, but we have so much more access mm-hmm. than they did, and. Um, just the fact that we have that high priest who, yeah. who speaks to us more directly than they would have. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of kind of a convoluted thought process, I guess. But, um, yeah, that's that's what I got. Yeah. Cool. 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 Nothing about the leprosy or anything like that? I, I left the leprosy out because okay. um, I didn't apply to my life currently. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, I only read good. the Bible for how it appeals to how it affects me. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> that's a joke. Okay, um, so I'm in the New Testament today. Um, all today, I didn't do anything Old Testament, but I know so sad. But anyway, it's okay. Mark 12 is where I'm at for both of my devotions. Um, but we're gonna start with Mark 12:13 through 17. Um, just some background information. Um, this is an interesting few chapters in Mark where we see the Sanhedrin, so the scribes, the Pharisees, and all these other people are coming to try and trap Jesus into saying something wrong, um, which is exactly what 12:13 says. It says, and they sent him, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. They're talking about Jesus, and so what they're 
doing here in these um, set of verses is saying, hey, Jesus, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Um, and so we're going to start in 15. And I'm going to read through 17. But it says, but Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. And this mm. is such um, – there's so much – like deep thought into that question that Jesus asked them, whose inscription is on this. And the first time that I read this, I didn't recognize it. But then as I was studying being made in the image of God, then I recognized what was going on here. He's saying, whose coin, like whose face is on this coin? Who is it made in the image of? Well, it's made in the image of Caesar. Okay. So this belongs to Caesar. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then um, what he's saying here, here is whose inscription are we made in? Of? Like who are we the image of? And we're in the image of, of God. Um, and so he's saying, give to God what is God's. And that's literally our life. That's literally us as humans. Um, and so if we look back a little bit in Mark 8, which we read a while ago, um, Mark 8, 34 and 35 says, and calling the crowd to him, being Jesus with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, um, and the gospels will save it. And I just think it's so important for us to remember that um, we are called to give our life to God, um, no matter if we're followers of him or not. Like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> like, mm. we are going to be um, given to him, not to anything else. And so I think that's important to realize with this passage. And number two, um, in our political climate, um, it's hard to submit to the government, but that's what God calls us to do. Um, he put those leaders in place. And so number one, submit to the government because that's what we're submitting to God. We're saying, God, you're in charge of our lives. We can't take control of that. And so submitting to the government is submitting to God and above all things, submit to God. So um, I just wanted to yeah, throw that out there and remind people we're made in the image of him and not in the image of humanity you know wow. we're just made in his image it, that is so very timely because today mm -hmm. there was an article and um i was reading something about the equality act in mm -hmm. our in our state to baptist paper or whatever and uh, pathway and and they quoted from the Manhattan Declaration. I don't know if you, I don't know, if you know what that is. It came back and it was uh, back in 2009. Uh, there were a group of uh, people, believers, that made this uh, declaration, and the and it, it reads like this: We will ungrudgingly render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but we can never render to Caesar what belongs to God. Ooh. And it was like it that was, just gave me chills. Yeah. Oh, that's so and it was good. Uh, and 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 that. And that that statement becomes more and more profound as we move forward mm -hmm. <laughs> with progressivism yeah. moving toward yeah. us. And it's like they, they took a stand and said, no matter what laws you make, no matter what you pass, mm -hmm. we are still going to stand our ground yeah. on what the Word of God teaches us. Absolutely. So, yeah, so very timely. Yeah, Yeah, and that's a super hard thing. Um, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, um, it's just it's hard to submit to the government. It, it really is. It doesn't matter who's mm -hmm. president at that time. If, if they're in opposition to what, you know, your beliefs are, it's like, I don't want to give that up. And it's yeah. like, it's not about, you know, know, it's not about us and our opinions and our, you, know, I, ones, you I, know, I don't, I don't suggest that you tweet this or anything, but don't tweet that you pray for the president and vice president because people freak out over things like that. <laughs> but I'm just going to say, we absolutely should be praying yeah, for our president, and vice absolutely. president and for our, and for our leaders and mm -hmm. so forth. And that, that's not a, um, 
that's not a because we're not we're not bound to a particular political party. We right. are bound to a particular God, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. and we need to be faithful to Him and do what He would have us to do, regardless of who's in office or even what yeah. government we're a part of. You know, I think sometimes we think so often it's like we we get so focused on how Christians are to be in mm-hmm. this country, as if being in this country makes one Christian, and not realize right. that Christians in China are still Christians, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and they don't have to come to our country in order to be Christian. They have to be Christian in China. Yeah. They have to be Christian in the Middle East. They have to be right. Christian wherever they are and be faithful under the government that they are. They, the All the passages that say that they have mm. to be faithful to their government and to their leaders and so forth all apply to them as yeah, well. Absolutely. Uh, and so uh, so we have to see it bigger than just yeah. – uh, yeah. And good. even remembering that our leaders are made in the image of God too. So they need yeah. they need salvation just as much absolutely. as us, you yeah. know. And I think that we lose sight of that yeah. for – I mean, North Korea – North Korea, yeah, that's the yeah. the closed. I mean, yeah, like he Kim Jong Un needs salvation just as much as <laughs> anybody else. Yeah. Like maybe more we, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and we we try to lower them to um, that they're that we're lower or that they're yeah. lower than us yeah. in Christ. And it's like, no, like they need salvation. No. Um, and yeah. I think that we I think sometimes we forget that. And know? by praying for them and praying for their salvation, it, it puts our puts our minds in the right perspective yeah, of how we absolutely. deal with how we do learning how to love so. people. Yeah. Which is my next point here soon. Cool, cool. Well, mine comes from um, Mark 10, uh, 26 through 31. And it says, And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Mm -hmm. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last mm. and the last first. Mm. Uh, and... You know, when we when when we talk about this, this comes off of them debating on uh, having well having the rich young ruler come to them and leaving him sorrowful and so forth because he can't sell all that he has and follow Jesus and and uh, and so I, for many times I, I put in my in my mind uh, that Peter is asking the question, uh, then how can rich people be saved? But that's not what he asks. He says, who can be saved, mm-hmm. which encompasses all of us. And Jesus doesn't answer, uh, oh, well, poor people can be saved. <laughs> but the question is, is that it really is, it's impossible for any of us to be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. But it's not easy for anybody to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's impossible. But he's saying, what is impossible for us to do in our own effort is possible uh, for God. And uh, and and we it was we preached on that not this past Sunday but the Sunday before which is already available on our website fbcj.us uh, so you can listen to the sermon but um, but the um, thinking that with all I mean just thinking with God all things are possible 
It's like we look so often at what our capabilities are. Like I can, like if it's just a little bit of effort, if I get this job, then I can do this. And if we have this house, then we can accomplish this. If I marry this person, then I can do this. And if we do that and we, and we map out a plan for life and so forth, and then anything goes wrong in that plan and we begin, it's like a whole house of cards just falls down. It's like, oh, now it's not going to happen. I mean, think, we were just talking about elections. Think about it. We think, if we can get this person elected, mm-hmm. oh, what we can accomplish. If we yeah. get the Supreme Court, says, oh, what we can do. And it's like, and then it, and it if it goes right, then we're always going to be disappointed. And if it and if it goes wrong, then we're always disappointed. Mm-hmm. And and it's like you're forgetting something. God can do anything, yeah. anytime, regardless of what, who's in office or power or what's going on and what's happening around us and so forth. With Him, all things are possible. So you just have to think in terms of what does God want to do? What does He um, what does He want to accomplish? Uh, Moses questioned how God could provide meat for all the Israelites. That was also in our reading. Mm, yeah. uh, and, um, and the disciples uh, question how Jesus could feed the multitudes. So, I mean, uh, two different frames of life. You have Moses thinking, how's God going to provide meat for all these people? Because uh, uh, they're all wanting, they're all like, we were sick of manna. We want meat. We want protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we need some protein in our diet. Uh, and, uh, and, and then you have the disciples saying, Jesus saying, feed all these people. And they're like, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we accomplish this? And, uh, and then the Lord said to Moses in Numbers 11.23, he said, has the Lord's arm been shortened? And I love mm-hmm. that conversation that God has with Moses. He's like, he's like Moses, yeah. we've been together for a while now. All right. And he's like, Look, you know, the thing about me sending all the plagues on Egypt and then we army follows you. You have to get across the sea. I push the water back. You all get across. I drown the army. Right. You remember know, that? It's like, remember all that stuff? Remember all that happened? Man, up falling from the sky. Yeah, all that kind of thing. And now you're wondering how I'm going to feed. And it's the same. And then you fast forward to the disciples and Jesus. Same scenario. It's like, here's Jesus doing all his healing, right. all these miracles. It's like, wow, well, how are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to make that happen? And then you fast forward to us. Same thing. Mm-hmm. We read all these. We read about Moses and the Red Sea, and we read about Jesus and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I remember having a, a story with a Wednesday night Bible study, and they were questioning the miracles of the Old Testament. They said, how could a fish swallow a man and he live you know, through that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how can a man resurrect from the dead? <laughs> it's like it's, right. it's, you're not questioning the resurrection yeah. of Jesus, but you're going to question Jonah? Getting, it's right. like God. I mean, if I was just saying, you know, difficulties for God, <laughs> I'm going to put bringing Jesus back from the dead <laughs> as at the top of my list and you know, giving him a new body and him living forever. Uh, and, and, you know, and then you throw back, hey, what about making the cosmos out of nothing? Right. Let's just start there. Just by speaking. Uh, yeah, just by like, speaking just... into an existence. <laughs> Let's go so with I, the first verse. Like, I know. In the beginning. Like, well, well, where it, was it, God it, out it, in the it, beginning? I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, this is God we're talking about. Yeah. And and so he's looking at Moses going, ah, you think I've lost my touch, Moses? <laughs> you, think, you think I'm losing some ground yeah. here? Is have I given you a reason to think I'm less powerful, like like a <laughs> Superman and with kryptonite? Right. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah, and that's a, a pretty amazing thing. Uh, God, there is no kryptonite for God. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing that lessens His power, and and we're to have full confidence that each and every day. So whenever He asks us to do something, all He's asking us to do is to take a step of faith. He's like, just give me what you have, and then. Step back and let me do it. What's interesting is that if the Israelites would have never asked about food, Moses would have never asked about food if God had just given them food right off the bat. Yeah. But he chose not to. And I think the part of that's we were talking about walking in faith. And like, will you walk in faith in this moment? 
Uh-huh. Will you? How are you going to respond if I don't just preemptively give you mm-hmm. what you think you're going to need? You know, yeah. or will you? Will you trust me? And they didn't, so that right. conversation had to be had. Right. Um, and yeah. not and that still, he wouldn't. It still does. It yeah. still does. Yeah. 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 So like when God doesn't immediately lay out for us what we think we're going to need five steps in the future, where does yeah. our where does our faith go? Where's where's our? And here's the part that um, gets me though. Because I'll I'll get pretty confident in my faith. I'll I'll be like, uh, I trust God. I trust God. I trust God. And I'll see other people, and like something will happen, and I'm like, God's got this. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, so let's turn it up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> let's yeah. make this a little bit more difficult. And I'm like, right. God still got it. And it's like, and I'm like, and then it gets turned up a little bit more. Yeah. It's like God really struggling now. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, I do have a breaking point here. <laughs> And so, um, anyway, that's, yep, uh, that's yeah. good. Good, good, good. Okay, um, I'm going to start off the Mark conversation here. Uh, and Mark, well, did. you started it. So, I'm going to start for this round, I guess. Mark 12 conversation yeah. is what I'll start right here. Yeah. Um, I already started Mark 12, though, so you're still not, Man, you're still not good. everything's in Mark 12. It's a great chapter. <laughs> They're all good chapters, but um, this is particular. So what I'm going to talk about is kind of in, in the middle of you're that chapter. You're going to continue the conversation. 28 through 34, yeah. Um, <laughs> So the scribe, right, comes up to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Because everyone's trying to trap him, right? Mm. And um, and I don't know that that's this particular scribe, but the people are watching, trying to, trying to catch Jesus in some kind of mistake. And the scribe's like, what's the most important law? And Jesus says, well, it's to love the Lord your God. You know, you know the law, scribe. You've written it down a thousand times. So it's this, love, love the Lord your God, blah, 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 and then love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe's like, hmm. Okay, so what you're saying is the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your hearts and to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, yes, you're, you've spoken wisely. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven. And and what's, what got me is that the scribe didn't do any thinking in that huh. in that exchange. He didn't he didn't try to make up some kind of response to Jesus. He didn't try to do anything. He just said, oh, this is what you said. Yes, you're right. And I think that's what that's all worship is with with Jesus is for Jesus God says something God does something and we respond you have done this and that is good mm-hmm. and Jesus responds with you're not far from the kingdom right mm-hmm. that's that's the exchange in worship and at that point nobody else it says nobody else uh, mm-hmm. dared to ask him any questions anymore mm-hmm. and and I think that's it that's really the the substance of what it's all about for us is when we ask God a hard question. And he gives us the answer. Just say you're right. You know, don't argue with God. Like like whatever Miriam and Aaron earlier, or whatever else that we we do to ourselves. We don't need to argue with God. We just need to look at what He said, and say you're right, mm-hmm. and move on. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's that's I think that's all He wants from us. And anyway, that hit me because I like to respond to things that God says, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. <laughs> and if I and if we change the words, then we make it wrong because God's mm-hmm. word is perfect. And mm-hmm. if we change what He says, then we've we've inserted our own error into it. So I think it's anyway. cool to see that again throughout all of Scripture. We see that what God says is powerful mm-hmm. and it has meaning and like literally. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And it's because God's word is powerful. We see that with creation. We see that with him calming storm. We see mm-hmm. that with everything. And it has authority over 
the winds over people um, over everything he's powerful yeah. and he's authority or he, he is the authority of all things and he gives us his word too which is like whoa yeah. you know so anyway i just had to point that out it was really cool but it's my turn again. It is your turn. <laughs> and um, I'm in Mark 12 still, um, and I'm going to be covering something that Daniel did cover a little bit, but it's something that's kind of hidden. You have to look for it. Um, you have to be kind of, you know, tuned in to what's going on. Um, and I'm not saying there's hidden meanings in scriptures that we cannot find. I'm just saying once it's there, you kind of can't not see it anymore it's just kind of like put it back in the box yeah right um and so it's in um, verse 30 12 30 says and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength um and so i mentioned earlier being made in the image of god i mean this has been something that i probably have just been studying for the past six months like what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Um, you know, as we're in ministry, we're told to disciple. We're told to love people, um, love your neighbor as yourself. We're told to um, serve people. We're, we're told to do these things with other people and just being able to lead them and love them and disciple them. And so that begins the question, well, how do we do this? And how do we disciple a whole person rather than just one part? Hmm. Well, God tells us, hey, look, um, hey, you're made in my image. You're made with a heart with a soul, with a mind and a body. Um, and so here we see that we're not just made with a spirit. We're not just made with a brain. We're not just made with emotions and we're not just made physically that we're, we're all four and we're not just one. And if one of those four things is missed, then is it really a human? Is it really someone made in the image of God? Because we have animals who have a mind, who have a body um, and have somewhat of emotions, but they don't have a soul. So they're not human. You know, we can think about these things and understand we're made different. Um, And so God has made us this way. And so when we're talking about discipleship, when we're talking about leading others, we need to realize that we can't just disciple someone's brain and then hope that they've got it all undercover. You know, we're called to disciple their soul and their mind and their body and their um, emotions. You know, I think that when we, um, a lot of times in ministry, we want to capture someone's soul and their mind. We want to teach them theology. We want to teach them about God. We want to, um, we want them to be saved and all this stuff. But we miss a huge part of emotions. And then sometimes people just focus on emotions and soul, and then they miss a huge part of theology. But it's like, no. I, I said this last Wednesday to the kids because we were um, doing a lesson on what are, what worship is, and it, it needs to be said that um, we need to think deeply to feel deeply, and we need to think correctly to feel correctly. And so we need to know God to love God, and we have to know um we have to let him know all parts of us and every part of us needs to be discipled um and every part of us needs to be given to him which is what we were talking about just a second ago with render to god what is god's give us him give him our whole life and not just our mind and not just our body or whatever it may be but we're made um in these four ways and that's something that has been really just sitting in my mind for the past few months and what does it look like to love people like that and love god like that so anyway yeah Good stuff, Josh. Thank you. Yeah. It's all from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, I want to share something from uh, Mark chapter 11. Going back out of Mark 12. Backwards. That, that, not that Mark 12 isn't great. I mean, <laughs> but uh, it says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, this is one of those 
aha moments that I read a passage over, 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 over again. And then this time, even at 52 years of age, and having done this, been a Christian since I was eight, that's why I tell people you should read it, keep reading over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because this was one of those, I go, wow, wait a second. Because as I was reading this, and even this kind of connects to, uh, he had just cursed this fig tree, and uh, and and he seen Jesus was hungry. He sees the fig tree far off, and he uh, gets up to it and doesn't have any figs. Uh, that one always bothered me a little bit because it's like, wouldn't Jesus know? I mean, he's Jesus. When you know, he doesn't have any figs, and he gets mad because it because it's not and it's not the season for producing figs. So it's like it's just being the tree that it's supposed to be, and so he curses it. Uh, and they are, and they're like, "Oh, look, that tree you cursed is withered, or whatever." And it leads to this conversation, and and many of the things that God d- does, He does, so that it leads us to a conversation. And uh, and the conversation is is that uh, Jesus is basically saying, "If you have this kind of faith," but here's here's the setting: when you are on the Mount of Olives and standing up on that mountain, uh, you can see in the distance the Dead Sea. And so Jesus is talking about, you know, this mountain, when you have enough faith, this mountain will be thrown into the sea. And if you go back into Zechariah 14.4 and so forth and look back in the Old Testament, this is an apocalyptic vision mm-hmm. of, of the destruction of the mountains and so forth. And so Jesus, now reflecting on the fact that we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. And when you are praying for his kingdom to come, you are Praying for that mountain to be cast into that sea for his for his judgment oh, to come on the world and to and he says and if you believe it you will usher in the kingdom mm. of God so it's not just simply hey you got power to move mountains but you have the power to bring the kingdom of God and bring about the end of the world mm. uh, oh. through your very active prayer and 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 so and we and we don't. And we so often fail to realize that when we're saying, mm-hmm. Lord, I'm praying for your kingdom to come. I'm praying for your will to be done here mm-hmm. as it is in heaven. You are praying for the for the ultimate abomination of desolation. I'm getting to your uh, question later. But the uh, <laughs> but the uh, but you are praying for the end to come. And 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 it is as Jesus, as John said, you know, to Jesus after he sees the revelation, he says, even so, Lord, come quickly. Um, and that is, and that's what we're asking. We're saying, God, this is, you're, you need to be here and you need to be bringing about your will upon this place. And he says, I'm hearing your prayer and I'm going to make it happen. And if you believe it, uh, it will be done. So might I just say, I'm prepping a lesson for this Wednesday called how to pray. And I was (laughs) going through scriptures and I was like, like verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I was like, how do I talk about this to the students because Mm. I don't know what this means. Like I have no clue. And so I'm just, God is incredible and answered that question through you. Mm. And I was just like, whoa. I mean, because I was going through, I was going to be going through Mm. the Lord's prayer and yeah, and it's like he gives us how to pray, but he also says whatever we ask, yeah. it will be done. It's gonna be done. So wow, wow. And to believe it. Yeah. 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 That was really cool. Cool. Sweet. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that section is. I guess we're done with that. Yeah. We're so we're gonna move on to some questions. We'll be back. We are back. This is the final segment of this episode of Understanding Jesus, where we talk about the questions, hard-hitting facts, and answers. And that's it. Hot takes. I know we have a couple. 
We have a couple. So Josh, just throw out, throw out your question first. Yeah, okay. First question, you mentioned it a second ago, but what is the abomination of desolation? The abomination of desolation. Yeah. Insert epic music here. Da, 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 da. Um, in Daniel, he talks about the abomination of desolation, and it is a little bit confusing when you are reading Daniel. And, um, but when you are seeing it in Mark and in Matthew, um, and he's talking about it, it is fairly clear. Here's just a shortcut approach that they are referring to the destruction of of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, now, some people will say so. Mu- it's so much clear that those Gospels had to be written after the destruction of AD 70, because how in the world would they know about these details uh, unless someone supernaturally made them aware of these things before they happened? That doesn't happen. <laughs> so, I wonder who that so, could be. <laughs> I know. So anyway, I, just uh, if, FYI, if you're wondering our take on this, we do believe that God does supernatural things. <laughs> And that Jesus is supernatural. So, uh, so yes, we do believe that Jesus supernaturally knew about the destruction of uh, Jerusalem before it happened. And when you when you think about it, it really is. Uh, people get up and, and try to look at details, and this matches this, and this matches this. But if you think it from uh, the perspective of Jesus is the good shepherd, he's speaking to an audience who he's saying, "Hey, uh, as as your shepherd and as one who loves you." I'm going to warn you about something that's coming, and this is how you need to respond to it and be prepared for that as a, as a loving father uh, protecting his children and preparing them from a very, for a diff- very difficult time that's going to happen because they all do flee. I mean, the destruction of Jerusalem is horrible, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's saying you know, that this temple is going to come down. There won't be one stone left upon the other, and that's exactly what they did. They dragged them to the ground mm-hmm. and burned the stones uh, because they just wanted to add insult to injury, and, uh, and then you had uh, – if you know the story of Masada, that all took place at that time. You had a group of zealots who uh, held up in, in the fortress of Masada for almost two years. Uh, amazing story. You know, are you familiar with Masada? I've never heard of it. Until oh, right my now. goodness. This is an incredible story because the Romans came after them. And see, Masada was a fortress that Herod had built so where he could survive forever. So he had all these supplies up there, and he had a, a, a secret aqueduct feeding water up oh. there so they could help. So it was, it was made for that. He had a, had a narrow path that goes up to the gates of this mountain. And so you could only go – soldiers could only go single file. Well, the guys inside the fortress just throw big boulders on top of them mm. and pick them off. And so you, so you lost your advantage as a military. So, after a year of waiting and having been camped, the the general got so tired, he went and captured all their families and had their families build a ramp so he could push a battering ramp there. So, uh, he had their families build a ramp. And so, uh, they saw what the ploy was, that their own family members were building this ramp. They were going to kill their own family members. So, they all took their own lives. And so, by the time the Romans went inside, they had all killed themselves to take the victory away from the Romans. It's an incredible story, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. In fact, every every Israel soldier has to go to Masada and and, and see it and understand that story uh, when they when they're part of the military. So that's like emotional. Okay. Yeah. So that uh, this this is homeschooling with Christian curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> but every I think it was every two years that was in our history books. <laughs> if you're wondering, Daniel was homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why he knows that. Apparently, very fact. homeschooled. Yeah. They, they made uh, back in. In the 80s, they made a miniseries about it. Oh, I guess wow. it's still out there. Called oh. Masada. Yeah. yeah. I so. wonder if I ever learned that. I just don't remember because I yeah. truly didn't care in school about history. But like, yeah. 
Well, I'm going to say I never heard of it before. I saw the miniseries, okay. and so, but it, it, but then I went to Israel not too long mm-hmm. after that, and uh, and got to go there, and it's it is just it's a very powerful story wow. and a very powerful um, yeah, kind of yeah, chills. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that is the abomination of desolation. So. Interesting. Well, my other question was something else you hit on earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about this in the other gospels too, but like here in Mark, you get three verses about the fig tree, and basically Jesus just is like. I don't know. He, I don't know if he has some sort of like magic hand, and he just like, and it it just like dies. But he curses it, and it just shrivels up. And it's like we don't get any details. He just does it, yeah. <laughs> and it's just really confusing. And I know that when I first studied, I was confused. I'm still confused, and still don't really know why he did it. Um, and hearing your answer, it was setting up for something. But it's like, why? Um, yeah, it may not be as some elaborate answer, but it, there isn't as much an elaborate answer as you want. There right. is, but there is always a story in it, and mm-hmm. it does it does set up the you have the power to right. whatever it is you want will and God's. But but it's also a symbolic of that uh, is not producing any fruit, and and so that which is not producing any fruit is. Um, not worthy to be. There's a parable that he gives about a fig tree that wasn't producing, and and uh, and they gave another year to dig around it mm-hmm. and given it an opportunity to produce. But the idea is always, and and then when Jesus is in, in John when he's talking about the vine and the vine that doesn't produce, it's not worth anything except to be cut and because mm-hmm. uh, dried up and then burned. Uh, that that message is over and over again. That if you are not fruitful, then you are just dis- mm-hmm. uh, you are cursed for destruction, um, Ooh, and okay. and that uh, I mean that we we don't get everything in that detail, but remember. Gospels are not written in in a, in a format that it's like uh, I'm going to share this story and this story is its own thing and it's and it's mm-hmm. not connected to anything else. Yeah. The person who's writing the gospels, including things that all intertwine right. and are and are meant to be, so the the fuller message comes out in the total story the, of the gospel writer uh, and uh, and the message that Jesus is is trying to convey to us uh, in all the gospels is uh, that there has to be fruit born in the life of a disciple. Yeah. It's something that you would think that uh, this is something I, I struggle with because I, I can't believe how much we don't teach that, how much yeah. we continually uh, push into people's minds. I used to I used to think that every adult Christian <laughs> had a good grasp of what the Bible teaches and everything they're teaching is solid. Uh, and then you grow up and think, oh, my goodness, a lot yeah. of what I was taught was just wrong. Right. And uh, and so these these ideas and so forth that are being circulated, you'd think we're like, oh, well, we're past that. But we're not past it. Mm-hmm. We still circulate these horrible ideas that a fruit that a fruitless path to God is is valid. Yeah. And uh, and he says over and over again that it's not that our lives should bear fruit. We're so desperate to get people into heaven, we deceive ourselves into yeah. believing that uh, they're okay, even if they're not willing to follow Christ. And that undermines the whole credibility of the gospel. Right. He says, no, you, this is, it's like we want both the thieves on the cross to get in. It's like, yeah, the one on the left, Jesus had this interaction with, but the guy on the right may have been thinking something secretly, you know, yeah. <laughs> that he wanted to get into. And even though he cursed Jesus the entire time, uh, <laughs> that he's somehow going to wind up magically in heaven. And it's like, no, that's not the story of that at all. It's like that one guy is displaying fruitfulness of his faith and the other guy is not. And so when we look at ourselves, we look at other people, if there is fruit, that bears out that we are a follower of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. then we can have assurance that we are going to be with him for all eternity. Uh, We're going to get what we want. Uh, But if there is no fruit, 
then we are to be afraid. Mm-hmm. We're to be. It's to. It's supposed to drive us to repentance. Yeah. If it drives us to repentance, then we are His children. Mm-hmm. It's. It, I always think of it like this. If a. Uh, if my dad comes and says, "You do that again, and I will beat you, boy," out behind the woodshed, and I'm like. I don't ever want to do that again, you know, and and I and so I'm going to do what my dad says because he's my dad. But if I look at him and say, "Forget you, old man. You don't have any control over me," whatever, you know, then perhaps I don't have the right relationship with him that I and need. You're going to get beaten. Perhaps, well, <laughs> well, I mean, but I'm saying if it doesn't turn, it doesn't make me turn around. Well, let me say, put it like this: If another man comes to me and says mm-hmm. that, I'm like, "You're not my dad. You don't have any authority over me. Yeah. I don't follow you. You know, you can't tell me what mm-hmm. to do." Well, then. I'm not his. Then I'm not his son. You yeah. Know? And right. so it's like so. Uh, but with my with my father, who I understand to be my father, my heavenly father, and when he speaks to me and addresses me, mm-hmm. I respond when he disciplines me. Yeah. I feel I feel him looking at me mm-hmm. when when I'm trying to when I'm doing something and I know I shouldn't be doing. Right. It. I can feel those eyes looking yeah. upon me, and I know I shouldn't be doing it. And I and I, and the moment that I get strength back or my come to my senses or whatever, I go back to him yeah. because that's how, because I'm his child. Right. And and the word tells us he scourges those he loves, you know. Yeah. And so that's Prunes the relationship we have. And, yeah. yeah. But but if there's no fruitfulness and there's no desire to turn back to him, then they they're not his. They don't belong to him. And and should not uh, be told that. That's yeah. they should be told they need to turn to him mm-hmm. and repent. Uh, but if we don't turn to him and repent and seek to follow him, then of course we don't have assurance of salvation because uh, there's a great chance we are not saved. So, mm-hmm. all right, one more question. Oh, we yeah, more. yeah, I forgot. Yeah, and this came this came through a text message. The question was: Does God's will in every circumstance always prevail? Wow, what a great, incredible question. And it, it drives us back to this conversation we have over and over again about God's perfect will and his permissive will. Uh, and Ooh. and God has a perfect, yes, God had a perfect design for how it was supposed to happen, but uh, which was that we, uh, there's a, there's a, Henry Blackaby has an illustration in Experiencing God that's one of my favorite illustrations of the seven realities uh, of God and so forth. And basically, if you can see this person walking and it's got a arrow that says obey, and and then it's got God over here and the arrow is moving toward God. When we are trusting and obeying God, we get to him without any hindrance. We go straight to God. Do not, you know, not, I was going to say straight to jail, do not pass go, but that's a monopoly. Not, not the same thing. We go straight to God. We're on a straight path to him. But when we deviate from him, there are these uh, that he he pursues us and he wants to invite us to have a relationship with him. We have this com- uh, you know uh, this uh, conflict of belief. I'm trying to remember in my head. Uh, we adjust our lives to him and so forth, uh, and then we obey and experience him. So we so basically we get off the path and we but we come back around to the path. And he says that he works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God gets us to where we want to go. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that God does always accomplish his will. His will will be done. Now, as to us in every individual circumstance, when we deviate, uh, that but, but once sin had entered, well, before sin had entered the world, God knows everything. He already knew before the foundations of the world that we were that sin was going to enter the world. He had already made an allowance for it. It was always a part of his plan. He never is shocked by anything and so forth. The reason why it's hard for us 
And and this is a big theological thing for us because some of us see God as linear and some of us see him as eternal. Mm-hmm. And when we see him as eternal, we don't believe that God has a beginning or an end, which I think scripture clearly teaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because he doesn't, time, linear time does not apply to him. Well, we think linear and we think within the concept of that time. So that's why we can't conceive of the world as he conceives of right. it. So he is allotted for everything, yes, and understands everything that's going to take place. And, and, is, and the world is structured to work within this scope. So for him, it's already all done. From beginning to end, everything that we're going through is already accomplished and decisions have been made and so forth. And he has already arranged it in his sovereignty to, to get to where it wants to go. This is, this is my, favorite, my favorite example to tell people is just focusing on Christ, which is always a good thing to do. Jesus was born exactly when he needed to be born. He died exactly when he was supposed to die. And he resurrected exactly when he was supposed to resurrect, according to fulfillment of prophecy and all these things. But think of all the details that have to take place to have him born at that time and mm-hmm. that place. All the different decision making. You go, Just go back through the genealogy of Jesus yeah. Christ and you see what a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and yet through all the failures and problems of people and people making de- – Here's here's Jacob deceiving his father and and cheating out his brother and God's using this uh, to get again to the end that he wants to do. already knows all the knows Jacob's going to be a scoundrel and uh, and accounts for that and it and it's all plays in the part to getting Jesus right where he needed to be right well if he can do that with Jesus it goes back to what we were talking about the miracles earlier if he can resurrect Jesus from the dead then Jonah can be swallowed by a fish <laughs> mm-hmm. and and if he can bring Jesus at the exact point and make sure his will is accomplished in that way well his will is done in right. every dimension every place all the time but there is but it is an allowance it is not his will for people to sin. Mm-hmm. It is not his will for that tornado to strike your trailer and kill everybody inside. Mm-hmm. That's not his, those things happen, and he allows those things to happen. And we know through Job that he allows Satan to go and do things, but he uses what he's allowing to still accomplish that which he is after. Uh, he didn't bring evil into the world, but he does account for evil uh, when he uh, is accomplishing his master plan. So, Good stuff. All right, man. Well, let's do this again. We should. How about next week? Next week? Same time. All right. Same Same time. We'll be here. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.